and welcome to episode 60 of Slaytanic Vercast. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, broadcasting live from James Franco's School for Talented Actors, is Dr. Vicuessence. How are you doing, Doc? Um, I'm fine. Um, as often happens, uh, as you know, since I've been using the, um, the black hole transporter, um, I step into the black hole transporter um, now that it's working and some of my eyes and some of my tentacles um, end up in a place that I wanted them to go. And, and some of my other eyes and some of my other tentacles and one or two of my stomachs end up in a completely different one. And mm-hmm. that's where I am today. Now, obviously, you're, you're, you're watching the, um, the Lequescence tracking device. So oh, yeah. you can tell where I am very often before I can. Uh-huh. So it, it's, it's, it's dark in here. Um, should I uh, increase the the phosphorescence on 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 some of my lumino tentacles? Well, and have a look around. You're in James Franco's School for Talented Actors now. As we know, this week at a time of recording, December twenty eighth, twenty twenty one, Mr. Franco has got himself in a spot of bother apparently by um, opening allegedly lawyers um, a school to train young actors, and more specifically, young actresses, if we're still allowed to use that word without being cancelled. Um, and guess what happened, Doc? Guess what happened when Mr Franco interacted with a bunch of, you know, kind of aspiring, eager-to-please young starlets? What do you think might have happened there, Doc? Um. Would it be something like what happens when a character typically played by Sid James gets to interact with um, the nubile inmates of a Catholic girls' school on a campsite? Something like that. Would it be a bit like that? Something like that, Doc. Apparently, his passions overcame him. And and, and these eager-to-please young ladies were, you know, were, were, were at the time... Seemingly more than happy to uh, to satisfy his carnal desires, but in the cold light of day, ten years later, uh, with a whiff of a of, 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 of a lawsuit in their nostrils, suddenly decided maybe it wasn't such a good idea after all. The call me an old-fashioned cynic. Who's James Franco? James Franco is Oscar-nominated, I believe, uh, for 127 Hours. The Danny the Excellent Danny Boyle film. There must be some fucking chemical. Chemical in your brain. That makes us different from animals. Makes us all the same. What do you say? So the guidebook says that the route's through here. And I know a better way. All you have to remember is that everything will be okay. About the guy trapped in a ravine. Um, 
also notable for appearances in the 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 the, the three Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Who am I? You sure you want to know? If somebody told you I was just your average ordinary guy, not a care in the world, somebody lied. Truth is, it wasn't always like this. There was a time when life was a lot less complicated. Can I take your picture for the school paper? Sure. In this lab, we have 15 genetically enhanced super spiders. There's 14. One's missing. Peter, are you alright? I'm fine. Hey, look, you're changing. I know I went through exactly the same thing at your age. No, not exactly. Wow. Peter, may I introduce my father, Norman Osborne? Great honor to meet you, sir. Harry tells me you're quite the science whiz. Um, and also okay. then like a bunch of frat boy movies alongside the likes of like Jonah Hill, um, those kind of guys. Um, maybe Seth Rogen would be part of that kind of posse as well. Um, you know, wow. basically, you know, a bit of a bad boy of Hollywood. Maybe, you know, who, who surprise, surprise, sometimes lets his dick do the talking. I mean, what a fucking, <laughs> what a crazy, who, who'd have thunk it, Doc? Who'd have thunk it? So this, this, this was a predictable risk, sort of on a par with turning John Belushi loose in a pharmaceutical factory, something, something like that. You got it exactly. You know, you, yeah. you know, read in you know in in the bells in a distillery, whiskey, bells whiskey distillery. Exactly. <laughs> you know what's going to happen? Who fucking <laughs> Doc? Can you believe this is episode sixty? Oh my goodness. Episode 60, and let me tell you what that means, Doc. We have been talking bollocks about Slayer for at least 120 hours, Doc. Good God. Um, so, like, end-to-end, that's that's a short prison sentence. That's five days. <laughs> Absolutely correct. I think if I went to my local police station and threw a brick through the window, that's roughly the, the custodial sentence I'd probably receive. I, I, I think that's more like third offence for burglary. Oh, go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Either way, either way, whatever the offence is. Yeah, yeah. Um, five, five days and counting, first, basically. First strike, first strike, fine. Second strike, probation. Third brick um, in the window. There's your five days. <laughs> <laughs> your five days doing borage. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> crazy, Doc. Uh, do you want a video game update? Yes, please. That'd be lovely. Last night, miracle of miracles, joy upon joy, the deed was finally done. Oh, was it now? Oh, do you know what I'm talking about? This would be the game that you've been like trying to finish, 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 finish for uh, uh, about the last geological age. Exactly correct. Yeah, exactly. Since, since the mammoth walked the earth, um, and last night at 11.20 p.m., I finally cracked that bad boy. The last level, the one that had eluded me for so long, I finally managed to get the, the gold-rated time trial completed. Joy upon joy, Doc. Honestly, what a fucking moment. 
Fantastic. There you go. And, and now I will never, ever play that game again. <laughs> you know. Oh, really? Uh, I mean, maybe in the dim distant future, but for the time being, that's enough of that. Um, but it's finally done. So I'm very, very, very satisfied. Uh, what have we been listening to, Doc? What have I been listening to? Yeah. What have, yeah, what have we been listening to was the generic question. But yeah, you, you sure. think so. Um, so it's been a while since we've done uh, any Slayer-related recording, and I've, yeah. I've listened to quite a few. Um, the, the thing that I, I, I think I'll bring up and draw your attention to is Cobalt Chapel, mm-hmm. um, who um, I suspect other people would invoke the expression hauntology. I would normally use any expression to invoke the expression hauntology and then talk about it for about seven hours. Sure. Um until I've had a chance to do that, I'm not going to use it as um, a lazy description of a genre of music. Mm. It's the kind of stuff I love. So it's got a lot of things that sound like analog synths, um, even though I suspect the digital recreations thereof. It's got wispy female vocals. Um, it's vaguely sort of sounds like it might be the theme tune or the incidental music to a long lost 70s television program mm-hmm. um if anyone there is remotely familiar with um pram or uh belbury poly um or possibly moon wiring club um then they know the kind of thing that they're in for uh, if they're not then by now they might not even care or they might have come to the conclusion that it's not really their thing. It's very, very few people's thing. Um, It's sort of one of these tiny, tiny little musical movements that um, I think is probably so cultish. It wouldn't be so much that you'd like struggle to get 200 people. Um, I I, I think you might struggle to feel like someone's living room. when you say that it kind of sound, sounds like it's inspired by or influenced by like a long lost 70s TV show, what kind of show? I mean, are we talking Tomorrow People, Ace of Wands? Or- Jet White Dove, Snow Black Snake, time has turned his face from the edge of mystery where running is no race ageless night careless day fate reaches out a hand to touch the edge of destiny a story with no end tyro cars tyro the diamond tyro You know, tomorrow's world, this is your life. Which way are we going here, Doc? The Tomorrow's World mm. or Children of the Stones or something like that. Oh, great. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
I'm not saying it sounds like it's inspired by, if you were to hear it, it would make you think of the incidental music for children's science fiction programs from the mid to late 1970s. Yeah. Um, if you were to go in search of the children's science fiction program that had the soundtrack that was like that, I don't think you'd find it. Sure. Um, so we're talking about Beyond the Black Rainbow a little while. That there never was a film in the early 80s that was exactly like Beyond the Black Rainbow. No. But when you watch it, you feel as though there must have been lots of them. Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. Hello, Lena. How are you feeling? You look tired today. Have you had uh, any headaches? I don't know who you are or what you are. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's almost like um, like, like like a gestalt entity version of a film that never existed, isn't it? Yeah, I mean when. One of the accurate but slightly lazy uses people have for the expression hauntology is something that makes you feel so, makes you feel nostalgic for something that either never existed in the first place or at least that you never experienced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, are we talking false memories? Um, no. Um, it's. I can't really get into this without getting into the whole subject of hauntology a lot more. Um, it's what it absolutely isn't is nostalgia. Um, mm -hmm. It's not yearning for something that used to be and isn't anymore. Um, there's a description I'm actually going to come to a bit later in this episode. And I'll, I'll give you a potted version of now. Um, it's, I want to say it's, it's, it's the future we were promised and never got. Got you. Yeah, well, I mean, that sounds like tomorrow's world by definition, doesn't it, Doc? It kind of is tomorrow's world by definition. Yeah. Um, you don't want to go into great detail now, but anybody that is interested, I don't know, do you want to pimp your um, essay site, Doc, that talks about it in great detail? It's up to you. I'm, I'm going to do that a bit later. All right. Because, um, I mean, I, I don't want people thinking this is like a, a pitch for something of mine that they're now yeah. supposed to go and read. So we'll, we'll, we'll finish up this episode first. Um, then probably in the album roundup. Mm. Um, it'll probably be beneficial to anyone still listening um, if I explain what the hell it is that I'm talking about. Um, Fair enough. Fair enough, Doc. I've so, been listening to... Um, oh, go on, Doc. Sorry, I thought we'd finished. No, you carry on. I've been listening to Anacrusis. Any ideas? Um, where have I... Um, <laughs> I know this sounds really strange. Anacrusis, I, I have an idea of one of those guttural death metal bands. And for a long time, I was, I was of the, I think I might be wrong on two counts here. I know I'm wrong on one. 
I thought Anacrusis were one of these, ex- like, really cannibal corpse, depth, guttural, <laughs> death metal bands. Yeah. But also, for some stupid reason, I thought they had a female vocalist. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, neither of those, neither, neither of those facts is true. No. <laughs> but, but, Isn't it amazing maybe, how maybe, maybe they are? We're living in the post-fact world, so maybe it is true. <laughs> 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 but no, that's not true. Um, Anacrusis are a kind of genre-defining thrash metal band that almost nobody's ever heard of. Um, they hail from uh, San Louis, San Louis in uh, Missouri. Um, they got four albums. Uh, the first one came out in 1988 and the last one in 1993. So while they were active, they were pretty prolific, you know, pumping out four albums in five years. Not bad. Um, what makes them so interesting though, is <clears throat> it's thrash metal. It definitely, definitely is thrash metal, but not as you've ever heard it before. Um, there are kind of gentle jazz interludes interspersed amongst it. There are real kind of strong experimental sequences particularly with the vocal style mm-hmm. he sings but it's not like um it's not like a like a like a power metal or heavy metal kind of powerful operatic kind of voice it's much more gentle much more subtle much more nuanced than that they put effects on the vocals um in really really interesting ways mm-hmm. some of the some of the the melodies are just so strikingly beautiful and yet kind of ferocious and dark and somber at the same time without ever getting into kind of doom metal territory, but they're kind of teetering on that path at the same time. Doc, they're absolutely fucking sensational. Their first two albums, um, Suffering Hour... second album.
excellent. By the time you get to albums three and four, manic impressions, screams and whispers, you know, it is it's getting way more experimental. Still really, really good. They are the thrash metal band that everybody into thrash should listen to, and almost nobody has doc. Why is that? Um, whenever when whenever I come across any kind of media property like this that seems like it should be wildly popular, um, and it seems like people should be into, and yet so very people so, so so very few people are. Um, I always wonder why. I like what what was the th- what what was the thing that they were missing that that mm. sort of didn't. Um, I mean, I I, I know sometimes that they're, they're just sort of awkward individuals. Um, but sometimes, um, to quote from Raging Bull, you know, you, or to, to, to paraphrase Raging Bull, you end up thinking, well, that they uh, they could have been contenders. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and and so, in the case of Anacrusis, why why weren't they? Do you think? I think maybe there's two reasons for that, Doc. I mean, two 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 reasons that seem kind of obvious to me, just just on the spur of the moment. One is location you know coming from saint louis sure. maybe you know then the, the, maybe there wasn't much of a scene there and so it was difficult for them to really get a foothold um <clears throat> and the second would be the fact that they were different you know they didn't they, 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 they were very very difficult to pigeonhole so how do you market them yeah you know um so it, it's a, you know so it's a, you got you know almost kind of punished for their originality in a way yeah that makes sense. Um, it makes perfect sense. Um, I mean, so sometimes it turns out that there's, if not a good reason, then that there's there's an understandable reason, and you know, sometimes it um, it just sometimes seems like there's no understandable reason as to why a certain thing or a certain band never got the the acclaim they deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, Recommend listening to for everybody, in my opinion. Doc. Sure. Uh, Chow time, motherfucker. Um, how many have we got today? We've got only got three. Um, in the Temptation episode, you, the good doc, asked if Corrosion of Conformity had an album called Make Your Choice. The answer is no. And after a bit of a deep dive, we could find absolutely nothing that this might refer to. So anybody out there that might have a single clue what the doc was waffling on about, any help? Gratefully appreciated. Anything bubbled up for you, Doc? In the meantime, no, not at all. Mm. Um, I I was and I'm kind of convinced it was corrosion. Or, no, evidently not. No, I, I I couldn't find anything that would be even tangentially linked to corrosion or conformity with with that kind of title. So no, we kind of hit a bit of a dead end there. So help appreciated, guys. Um, we tried to splice in the trailer for a movie called Strip Nude for Your Killer during the last episode. <laughs> but apparently, YouTube deemed it too hot for Satanic Vercast. Um, every version of the trailer that I could find was undownloadable using normal human means. Doc, what do you think about that? <laughs> That's fantastic. What do you make about that? It's crap. I've never encountered this before. You know, where I've found multiple sources for multiple content providers and every single one of them impossible to download kind of it you know you know you kind of get that cannot pass this file error yeah every single one doc it was bonkers gracious me Um, i'm going to interrupt you for a second it's review your choices 
and it's by pentagram. There we go, Doc. We'll chuck a bit in at about this point. time uh, in the born of fire episode the doctor couldn't remember the name of the first Nifelheim album <laughs> it's understandable doc to be fair to you it's totally understandable because it is it's a bit it's a bit hard to remember it is of course <laughs> called Nifelheim doc what are you fucking thinking <laughs> Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I know why I could never remember that. There one. we go. There we go. That tricked you. <laughs> Done. Brilliant. Do you want a topic? Yes, please. That would be great. Here we go. <laughs> Hit me with some bands. Let's try and get for. Let's try aim for three. We might overlap. In which case, whatever. You know, we get less than three each. Um, bands with great lyrics. What do you think, Doc? Um, am I confined to metal or...? No, do what you want. <clears throat> um, this is really difficult because I'm, I'm not necessarily a lyrics person. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, generally speaking, I, I, I don't listen to lyrics very much. I don't memorise them very much. Um, and generally I tend to treat the, um, the human voice as, um, as an instrument. Um <laughs> I've tried to explain this to people in the past, Doc. You know, you, you get that conversation with people when they when they find out that you listen to like death metal and black metal, and it's oh, but you can't hear what they're saying. And I've I've tried to make this point, yes, but it's just another fucking instrument. Why can't you get that through your tiny, tiny minds? Um, I've met people um, who listen to Celtic folk music, sung in languages they don't understand. Mm. I've met people um, who are like fans of Billy Holiday and Ella Fitzgerald and have no problem with scat jazz vocals. Sure. Um, and I've met people, I've, I've even met people who are into like literally wordless um, Asian folks, like um, Mongolian nose singing and things like this. <laughs> um, and even those people evince surprise at the fact that um, I can listen to a lot of music where you you, you can't hear the words. Mm. Um, 
so it, it's it's a mystery to me as well. Um, there's also the fact that, generally speaking, I think the people who write great lyrics tend to be singer-songwriters, and I have very, very low tolerance and very short patience for people singing with an acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd, I'd, I'd actually just rather buy a book of poetry and read it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. No, nothing makes my heart sink faster than somebody's getting up with, with, just with an acoustic and a fucking microphone. I think, I think this is going to be shit. Um, and I mean, don't, don't even bother anyone telling me that I, I just haven't listened to the right people. I mean, I've, I've tried really hard with Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell. Um, I've tried really hard with Billy Bragg. Um and sort of, I've, I've even tried really hard with Annie DeFranco, mm. and it, it, it's 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 a means of production that I, I it just evidently isn't for me. Yeah, but, but but you haven't listened to the right people, Doc. You've got to give Ed, <laughs> you've got to give Ed Sheeran a go. Come on. Oh fuck off! Yeah, um, <laughs> go on. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I think by and large, if um, if Bob and Joni don't do it for you. Um, nobody's going to then, are no, they? I agree, Doc. I totally agree. Um, so, bands with grip. I'm going to have to answer this in my usual sort of slightly skewed way, which is, as usual, me avoiding answering, stri- stri- strictly answering your question. Mm-hmm. The bands who have the best lyrics in the context of the music they are playing, and I think that's important as well, um, are the ones who use words that don't necessarily make sense and aren't necessarily good poetry but can put strange images into your mind um sure. peculiarly enough um i think uh, um i think mayhem are great at doing this mm-hmm. um and it's completely incorrect to say that you can't hear what the, the lyrics that mayhem are singing it takes a lot of work and a lot of concentration um and you might need to gloss them just the worms with the lyric sheet um, you certainly don't need to sit there with the lyric sheet and read along. You you definitely can pick the words out. Yeah. Um, it just and the combination of the music and the vocal style and the the lyrics to. I don't know whether it's the English as second language. Um, I think it must just be the badly disturbed minds of the people who are writing the lyrics. Um, there's some of the lyrics to songs like Funeral Fog and From the Dark Past um, are capable of making me reimagine situations and scenarios that I thought I knew well, and that's all I can say about it. Sure. I think I was talking maybe two or three episodes ago about um, Roy Scop um, and their yeah. track, What Else Is There? And I think I was making the – and I think quite um, self-indulgently, I, I read some of the lyrics from it because, right, it's yeah. the, because it's the lyrics that make me tingle, basically. They, they, they give me that kind of – what's it called? Is it a- a- ASMR? ASMR? AMSR? ASMR, isn't it? Um, I'd call it synesthesia, but yeah, synesthesia. carry on. Yeah, they, exactly, exactly that way, where it just does strange things to your body and brain, and, and, yeah. and, and, and you know, and just makes you feel things in a way that nothing else does. Um, 
uh, obviously the I think the response that most people have is uh, when when most people experience this, it's 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 lacrimal, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, it's, and it's I get I, I, I get that from time to time, Doc. Yeah, there are certain tracks that when I try to sing them, I automatically start to cry, even though there's no rational explanation for it. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it, it, it's it's definitely a thing. It's definitely a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it it's a rare one with me. I don't often get really physical gut reactions. Sure. Um, but then I don't often get physical gut reactions to many things except Tory politicians. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, since if, 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 if I want to feel nauseous, um, I have such a complete understanding about um, what stimulus I require to make me feel that way. I, I, I don't ever feel the need to seek another. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, 10 seconds browsing the front of the Daily Mail will, will, will normally do it for me. I'll kick you off. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of, uh, if it was a film, you'd see me doing that, and then fast forward one minute to me doubled over in a gutter, peeking my guts up. Mm-hmm. Um, the mayhem. That's your first offering, Doc, yeah? yeah um, absolutely. I'm going to go with quite an obvious one, I suppose, really. Non-metal, uh, but rock, nevertheless. And that would be the Manic Street Preachers. Um, in particular, the Holy Bible album, um, there's just something so visceral about some of the words that are being used. Now, you know, it, 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 upon reading the lyrics, you know, as, as, as like a fully grown up adult and all that, you know, maybe maybe there is the quality of, you know, kind of, I don't know, like undergraduate philosophy and politics. Maybe maybe there is the whiff of that, but nonetheless, um, uh, the depth. The violence, the absolute visceral nature of them, to be pouring out of a man of that age, um, I think is potent indeed. You know, if you just re- read the lyric sheet to, to to the to the whole Holy Bible album. I mean, first of all, it would take you quite a fucking while because there's lots of them, um, <laughs> and <clears throat> you know, I, I think I think most people would be very surprised to listen to the music. And to actually, actually, kind of start to grasp about some of the stuff that he's that he's actually writing about. You know, what, what's the track called? If, if white America what, uh, told the go truth, go on, you, you know this one off by heart. Go on, Doc. Yeah. Say it again for me. Well, if, if white America would tell the truth for one day, its world would fall apart. You know, read read the lyrics. That, read the lyrics to that to that track, and tell me that it is not kind of bordering on on genius, Doc. What, what do you make about that? Next Thursday, you're invited to watch Rising Tide's live coverage of a gala tribute and salute to Ronald Reagan. Host Haley Barber joins special guest Lady Margaret Thatcher in celebrating the former president's 83rd birthday. Tickets are $1,000 a plate, but you can see the event free on GOP-TV.
we've we've talked about Manic Street Preachers a lot before, and like except for that album, mm. I always thought Manic Street Preachers were um, a better idea than they ever were a band. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was a absolute unabashed Manic Street Preachers fan. Um, random sort of went when when their first few singles came out. Um, I um, I had the charity shop nylon leopard skin coat um, and um, I had a big box of um, leftover makeup um, and you know for a band that basically set out their manifesto or, uh, as you know we we want our band to be your life yeah well, uh, didn't they say we want to be the biggest rock band in the world yeah I mean um, they're, they're sort of unabashed about their, their, their contempt for um, being a little indie cult band, mm. um, and you know that they um, they were sort of unabashed about the fact that they they wanted to people they, they, they wanted people to self harm in their name, and they wanted people to commit suicide in their name. But um, beyond that, they they but they also wanted to be like they wanted to be Guns and Roses too, didn't they? Um, that was the start of the like the the, the first ambition that the, the beginning of their ambition their first album was going to be the one where they wiped the floor with Guns and Roses, mm. um, and then they were going to then they were going to define the meaning of fame and popularity after that. Mm. <laughs> um, but then it's worth bearing in mind that and they, they they embraced their Welshness very much and not in a tacky nationalistic way the part of it that they embraced is that they were um they were born to fail and born to lose and they were never and and, and they were never going to succeed and they knew it sure mm-hmm. um and i think if, if they had an ethic or an aesthetic um it's that the harder you work and the more ambitious you are then the more bitter your inevitable failure will be mm-hmm. um and they they had the sort of Almost like, um, I don't want to say masochistic, in, in a very literal sense, that they, they had this fanatic drive to failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just, just for once in rock and roll, um, all of that crucifixion Im- imagery and all of that Jesus Christ imagery um, wasn't put there just. And I don't think, I don't think that. The, the, the crucifixion imagery, and I don't think the crown of thorns and the Jesus Christ stuff was was there because they wanted to be martyrs. I think it was there because they wanted to embrace the mockery and the humiliation and the scorn. Mm, mm. One could almost say, Doc, they were for real. Uh, what, what? Yeah. What, what's your second offering tonight, sir? I'm sorry, I, I drifted massive, massively off topic there because if you, it's another one of these things. If you get me stuck talking about manic street preachers, then I'll, I'll just fucking keep at it all night. <laughs> That's all right, Doc. Don't worry. Um, well, it, I wanted to bring up Nakamori Akina um, for very similar reasons, um, but I can't because Nakamori Akina is a singer and not a bat. Not a band, and I don't think she wrote her own lyrics. Ah, okay. No, I, I think that disqualifies her. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. So um, I'm going to move on from. Um, and I mean, I, I'm getting really predictable now, but favorite bands are favorite bands for a reason. And so, like, I can't let this go without passing over Joy Division now, can I? Fair enough, Doc. Go on. Uh-huh. Any, um, any particular tracks stand out for you? Uh, it's a temptation to say almost all of them. Mm. Um, Ian Curtis, who 
as well as being the singer, wrote most of the lyrics with help and didn't write any of the music. One thing I don't know is how their composition, I don't know anything about how their, their composition process worked. I've never been in a band with just a singer mm-hmm. in it. So I don't know if it's usual for singers to write lyrics as if they're poetry. And then, I, I, I don't know what you do then. Do, do, do you sing them a cappella, how you imagine the melody and let the musicians try and fit around you? Mm. Um, or do the musicians come up with a tune that they've written and you try and pick out some... I, 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 it's interesting for me. I've got no idea how that process works. I think, I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. I think it's a bit of both. Um, I, I, I think you will have, you know, uh, you know, the guitarists bring in the riffs, and the, and and the vocalist will then try and fit their lyrics to to those riffs. And then on other occasions, if 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 the vocalist thinks that they've got like a really cool melody with some cool lyrics that they want to sing, I think they will do it a cappella style, and the guitarist will just kind of jam in the background. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it makes um, sense to me. Um. And so what, what Ian Curtis does is to use words, use perfectly understandable words of English um, and put them together in combinations that are, it is poetry, um, but it's as different from T.S. Eliot as T.S. Eliot was from W.B. Yeats. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, if it rhymes, it's only accidentally. It's got metre and it's clearly got coherent meter, um, but you can't make it fit any obvious rhyme scheme. And it goes that step beyond T.S. Eliot in as much as it doesn't merely allude to texts and topics that are outside the scope of the poem. It alludes to texts and, top- and, and topics that in some cases I think existed only in the mind of the guy who wrote the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, it, it's almost like the, the, the repeated references to books that only ex- the repeated references to the works of J.G. Ballard is a big one, and Isaac Asimov is another big one, um, and um, Divvies. Um, yeah, I just invented a word. I'm, 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 Joy Division fans are called Divvies. I'm going to call them that. Mm-hmm. Um, Divvies will, will, will sort of argue about the, the literal meaning of the words and what things are an allusion to or a reference to. Um, some people will say that certain things are reference to Marxist text or Nietzschean text, and other people say no, there's no way they weren't. Uh, there's no way um, because Ian Curtis's personal library was endlessly catalogued after his death. Apparently, the idea of someone going to a public library and reading a book that they didn't own um, doesn't cross these people's minds. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are other references, and they're repeated references books that don't even seem to exist um this isn't unusual um the most obvious example of it is um lord of the rings contains repeated references to the silmarillion which is a book that J.R.R. tolkien never even wrote in his own lifetime mm-hmm. um it existed as a set of jottings and it existed mostly in his head it, it, it um, was his son wasn't it christopher tolkien that kind of put it all together that's right. Yeah. 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 Um, from, from, from his notes. <clears throat> so, I mean, it was definitely a real book and it definitely existed, but it certainly wasn't published and it existed mostly in the minds of its writer. Mm. But it didn't stop him actually writing a real book that makes countless references to it. Sure. 
Um, and I mean, I, I, I know a lot of people have said the same thing about Finnegan, Finnegan's Wake by James Joyce, um, that to, to completely understand it requires a key, and the key likely was a text that actually died with James Joyce and was never mm. written down in a way. But Look, <clears throat> for the sake of time and brevity, to my second choice, and, and, and maybe we'll make this the the the, 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 the the final choice actually, because we're already starting to run a bit long, and I guess right. we're going to have plenty of things to say about uh, the lyrics to Seasons in the Abyss. So, um, my final choice, Doc, um, I'm going to go with In Flames. I love In Flames, Doc. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're, in my, they're, they're in constant rotation in my top three bands. Slayer, Maiden, In Flames. I'm a predictable old motherfucker. Um, and <clears throat> what I like about his lyrics, he, Anders Frisk is the, uh, is the name of the, of the vocalist. And much reviled by kind of cavalt metal purists and, and fuck those guys. Um, what what I really like about his lyrics is that they are kind of transcendental, take you to different places, don't worry if they make sense. They just sound awesome in combination with the music. And, you know, when you consider that this is being done in his second language, um, mm. I think it's pretty, pretty damn impressive. Um, you know, I'll just give you a brief example here. It's from a track called, uh, uh, hang on, which track is it? It's Bullet Ride, the first track from the album Clayman. by your own smell bitterness will run you through silent screaming turning twisting the alphabet galactic eyes awaiting the answer splinters of a poem fragments of what you used to be habitual and gullible rundown memoirs is all that's left you know i mean i, I think to be able to write such kind of to such a level of, of abstraction and, but yet with great beauty, in a second language, is just to be lauded, Doc. What do you think about that? Yeah, what, what it makes me think of 
um, oddly enough, is, um, and it, it, it's kind of made me rethink. Um, have you ever read any of Jim Morrison's poetry? I'm not, and I'll tell you why, because it, it, the, the, the people that bang on about the doors just bore me so fucking senseless. It's it really kind of put me off him. Um, it took me a long time to get over that one as well. Yeah. It really took me a long time. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, the the, 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 the lionisation of tortured rock gods and all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, Jim Morrison claimed that he wanted to do with poetry what Jean Goddard did with cinema. Sure. Um, which was basically start off with a full-length poem um, and then edit out all but the most essential or the most pivotal lines. Mm. So... I don't, by the way, think that Jim, Jim Morrison's poetry is particularly good. Um, I don't like it very much, and I've I've come I've come to it several times on and off for a, a, a long, long while, and I, I I can't really make myself like it. Um, but I mean, this idea of you start off with a long narrative or a long poem, and then you you look at it, and you go, which of these lyrics are actually important? Which of these lines are actually important? And just discard all of the rest. Mm. Um, and I think you're spot on when, I think you're more spot on than most people are when you use the word abstract, because mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's very much the way that, let's say, Mark Rothko used painting or Barbara Hepworth used sculpture, you know, which is you, you, you do as, as, as little work to the canvas or to the stone um, as you have to. The fewer cuts you can make, the fewer brush, brush strokes you can make, the fewer shapes you can use. Um, and just trust trust the intelligence of just trust the intelligence of your audience. That's it, isn't it? Yeah, just have faith, basically. Feeling. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, Doc. Doc, I think it's about time we get into a bit of fucking slayer because let's be yeah. honest, that's why we that's why we paid our, 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 our entry fee. Um, don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter at Vercaster on email at slaytanicbearcast at gmail.com. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to part two of the show. Here we're going to play the track, pause it from time to time, and then bang on about it unnecessarily for a really, really long time. Um, <laughs> tonight's track is, of course, the eponymous. Is it eponymous? Does yeah. It, it is eponymous, isn't it? Yeah. It doesn't have to be a person to be eponymous, does it, Doc? No. No. So it's the eponymous track uh, from the seasons in the Abyss album. Therefore, it's called what, Doc? Uh, 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 Rain in Blood. Wow, it's called Seasons in the Abyss. Uh, it's track 10, and it sounds a bit like this. <laughs> Four seconds in, Doc. Something tells me this is going to be a little bit different. Um, here are some things that um, 
we can sort of mine out of this immediately. I don't think Slayer have ever had such a deliberate intro to a song before, have they? Mm-hmm. Deliberate? Um, you mean like precise? Um, no, I, I, I mean, something that's very obviously considered. It's it's almost progressive rock. It, it, it's, it's almost the way that progressive rock bands give you like um, um, an overture. Sure. Um, where they'll introduce all of the different chord progressions and themes and little melodies they're going to use later on in the symphony. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So the kind of little nuggets, little tantalising elements that, oh, by the way, they'll be coming later. Don't worry about that. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in, in, in symphonic composition, it, it's it's to give your work sort of something like a, a, a table of contents. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's. I think there's also the idea that you're supposed to do it in order to play fair, which is you're supposed to, at the start of the composition, you're supposed to openly declare the chord progressions and the melodies and the themes. And then after that, after the overture is over, you're, you're supposed to confine yourself to those and only those. I, th- I, th- I think stuff like, like Bollywood, the music that's used in Bollywood does, does kind of a similar thing. I think, forgive me, dear listener, if, if my understanding is a little bit askew here, but I think there are kind of uh, like motifs within within kind of Bollywood music whereby, you know, the, the, there will be a particular melody dropped in and then the, the audience kind of understands that because this music is playing, when these two characters are speaking to each other, that kind of informs them of the true nature of their relationship, irrespective of the words they're actually saying to each other. See what I mean, Doc? Yeah. Um, no, that makes perfect. Um, that makes perfect sense. Um, Indian film, particularly in the mainly Hindu-speaking areas, mm. derives from derives from Hindu ritual, derives mm. from, tan- uh, from from tantric ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a little like ancient Greek music, you, you'll, you'll have a, um, not a scale, uh, you, you'll, you'll have a mode um, that connotes a certain point of the ritual. So, you know, you, you'll, you'll, you'll have a particular mode for the fight between good and evil. You'll have a mode for the victory of the righteous. You'll have a mm. mode for the crisis of the hero. Mm. Um, and because India historically and now has several hundred spoken languages, the people who are watching your film might not speak the language that the film is nominally in. Sure. Um, so um, I suppose in order to, to, to help, and, and then obviously there's there's the meta purpose that you've just alluded to that I think gets away from a lot of European and American film critics, which is that um, it enables you to have a very, um, I was going to say very subtle. There's, there's nothing subtle about it at all. It enables you to have a very upfront ambiguity, particularly since most or a lot of Indian romantic dramas um, have themes such as separation at birth and hidden identity and people masquerading as classes above their station or below their station. Um, you know, kings disguise themselves as beggars and um, beggars steal robes from emperors and. Um, you know, twins get separated at birth, and one lives in a pauper's house, and the other one lives in the palace. Then you, you can you can have these musical cues to clue the audience into a relationship that maybe even the characters aren't aware of at that mm. time. Mm. Um, it's a bit like using music to actually kind of hear the characters in a voice, even as they're speaking words that kind of contradict that inner voice. Well, the the 
the and I hate this word Western. The Western drama equivalent of it is the Shakespearean soliloquy, isn't it? Where mm-hmm. like, sure. Hamlet turns away from yeah, they turn to the audience, don't they? And tell yeah. the audience and, and what's really happening. That's right, yeah. yeah. It's the aside, isn't it, basically? Definitely. Yeah. Um, and then you've got this concept in Indian cinema uh, with its roots in Hinduism mm. um, that actually everything is controlled by the puppet master gods and the wheel of destiny. Yeah. Um, and I, that's that's a sort of a framework for the, this 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 meta commentary um, that even if the characters don't know what their relation, you know, even if you've got two characters who don't yet know that they're brother and sister. Um, well, Lord Vishnu knows. <laughs> um, of course he does. Of course he does, Doc. <laughs> Should we press on? Yeah. It is so hauntingly beautiful, Doc. It's really, really surprising. I've long since stopped being surprised at Slayer being able to do anything. Mm. Um, it's always nice when they do something that they haven't done before. But, mm. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very, very far beyond thinking, oh, wow, I never thought Slayer had that in them. Yeah, and that's a great observation. I just couldn't resist that pause there. Let's carry on. Here we go. Kind of the end of the intro, it's got to be Doc, it's got to be a contender for one of the best intros to a metal song ever, 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 hasn't it? Well, I don't know whether this is a response or an influence. Um, it craps all over Metallica's attempts to do the same thing now, doesn't it? Are you talking about something like one? Um, yeah, or um, is it the track and Justice for All? Oh sure, yeah, 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 yes. Well, same album, um, yeah. The, the album, and I, I think that album came out the year before, so it would be a direct response, wouldn't it? It would seem to be. Mm-hmm. So, I can't think of any other metal song. I mean, um, until you get into the realms of, you know, let's say epic power metal, where it's kind of expected. I can't think of another metal track that does this kind of thing this well. Yeah, there's just something so fucking powerful about it. Those chords, it's only four chords. It's so powerful. That wonderful arpeggio that's being played. The combination. My God, Doc, it knocks my socks off. Let's see what they do when they actually when they actually get serious and start making an effort. (laughs) 
tell you what they do, Doc. They groove our fucking asses off. That's what they do. I am reluctant to ever go too deeply into mimetic analysis of musical structures. Um, I almost can't avoid it in this track. Um, we've, we've had a scene-setting introduction, um, and the opening minutes of this movie uh, is drudgery and then action. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost can't, like, I, I've seen the video, but I almost can't get out of my head that this is supposed to be the soundtrack for the opening of the film where you get the long panning shot over the guys in the prison camp or the guys on the chain gang in Texas, and sure. then there's a prison break. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. As the action escalates, so the intensity escalates. So you go from, you go from the strict 2-4, um, and then you go from, you go into that um, swung 4-4, um, and the fact they start to swing and they start to groove on that rhythm, well, that that that, connote, that, that connotes freedom and, and mm-hmm. freedom from restriction in its own right. Sure, and hope. Doc, there's hope. Yes. There's hope. Maybe we can groove for the rest of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Here we go. playing this on stage in front of multiple thousands of people. I, I, I just can't oh, yeah. of it, Doc. Um, it would be... I can't put it any other way. It would be one, it would be one of those earned moments. Um, I think if you ever found yourself in a position where you were being adored, looked up to, etc., etc., by several thousand people. Um, it's a very, I don't even mean humbling experience. It must be one of those experiences that makes you feel very insecure about whether or not you're doing the right thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's, there's a great quote from, um, from Paris, the hip-hop artist, and he's, he's, he's talking about um, the moment that we realised that we could start a riot or we could start an insurrection, and we and and and, uh, and we realised that we couldn't fuck with that, mm-hmm. um, and this song would be one of those earned moments. All of your adoration, um, all of the singing along, just this once. I absolutely deserve it. Sure, you're right, Doc. You're right. Here we go. <laughs> Yeah. 
Tom's voice, Doc. Thoughts? Um, well, it's, it's never better, is it? Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and it's... We've talked about this a lot, how the previous album was an experimentation largely unsuccessfully with a bunch of, de- of, of different styles. And I think you can look at this album as a progression towards the definitive Tom Araya vocal style. And I think it gets to the song. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, it, there's a... Um, tell me if I'm right about here. There's a triumphalist note. Mm-hmm. He, he, he sounds like a man who's realised that he's finally got it right. It's interesting, isn't it? Because on this album, we, we've noted a couple of kind of... Um, moments where he where he does kind of alter the 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 the, the timbre of his voice to suit the the mood of the piece mm-hmm. deskin mask was one where mm-hmm. he sounds fragile and vulnerable yes now the voice is not actually the the, the the vocal delivery in that track is not that dissimilar to this track but i i agree with you this feels more upbeat it feels more triumphalist it feels more positive, even though ostensibly it's almost the same. Um, we think I know what it is. Go on. I think I, I'm, I'm going to get a tiny bit musicological on you at, at the moment. Oh, wow. And I would love to get the opinion of someone out there um, who knows what it is that I'm going to try to talk about. I think they've picked a key to write the song in, um, which even though it's all minor obviously, because it's metal. Um, Tom can actually hit the notes to the matching major key, so he's singing in a major progression, and that's where the triumphalism comes from. Thing is, though, Doc, it's all in the same key, because it's all off fucking E. It's all off, well, D sharp. It's all off D sharp. Everything that's what they play comes off D sharp. That's what the root is, but, I mean, it, if, if it was, oh, God, don't make me try and do proper music now. Oh, Christ. Um, oh, no, what, was, have we, what have we started here? Um... If the root is D sharp, then the key would presumably be D sharp minor. Mm. Um, so your next note would be E sharp. Um, what well, then would you have a black note after that? So your next would be would be e. so you'd, you'd have a black note after that. Mm. Um, then you go up another two semitones after that, and I think one semitone after that. And what they've done is they, they've they've put the they've put the tune in that key, and then they've pitched that he's, he's pitched the vocals in another key where he can sing in a major progression sure which is the harmony of the minor key that the song is in and that's how it, so he's the song is in a minor key he's singing in a major key and that's how he achieves the triumphalist note wow yeah and that's why it kind of sounds anthemic doesn't it you know it really yeah. does sound like you you need the fucking stadium singing this motherfucker no doubt about um, it well. i think this is what real musicians i think this is what real musicians call contrapunt or contrapuntal. Yeah. yeah, well, that, that, yeah, that, that totally makes sense, Doc. Yeah. Uh, I think we're about to play Name That Solo, Doc, so brace yourself. Thank <laughs> you. 
Geomesser. Right. <clears throat> Before we do, I'm going to proffer this bit of evidence um, that I might have been onto something in the previous section. The the guitar chords go dun, dun, dun. So root, one semitone, uh, two semitones, one semitone. Mm -hmm. The vocals go dun, dun, dun. Oh, so yes. Two semitones and two. Se so somehow that they've, they've, they've managed to pick a key for the melody and a key for the vocals, where the one's in minor, the other one's in major, but they harmonize together correctly. Brilliant, Doc. I'm with you. I'm with you all the way. I like it. Yeah, I like, um, it. I like it when you get music, musicological on us. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so very, very bad at that. I'm, I'm, so, I'm such a very, very limited <laughs> musician. Um, and I'm so terrible at studying this stuff that when, whenever I can spot something that one of my more knowledgeable friends has spent years failing to crowbar into my head, I get really proud of myself. Then <laughs> um, that solo. Right. Um, I was going to say, um, typically, it's Jeff that's been using that distortion and chorus combination. So the first mm -hmm. part must be Jeff. But they both use it. Both solos have got it. Mm -hmm. So then I was going to have to say, typically, it's Jeff who does the the, the bluesy bends, um, the note bend. So I'm going to say, Jeff is the second solo and Kerry is the first one. And you're absolutely correct, Doc. Brilliant. <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I, I think that was a really, really hard one. And, and you just, you've absolutely nailed it. Correct, Doc. Yeah. Spot on. Excellent. Doc, we've got about one minute 40 to play. I really need a wee. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to hit play and we're going to listen to the rest of the track. Suit you? Of course. <laughs> Track 10 from Seasons in the Abyss. It was, of course, the track Seasons in the Abyss, the album Closer. Doc, what a fucking song. Need I say more? Um, well, of course you need. Um, we've still got about 45 minutes to fill. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, to me, this sounds like the, just in terms of themes and ideas, the, the Closer to um, 
an idea that was begun in the first track of the previous album. Mm-hmm. Um, when the track South of Heaven came on, um, I made quite a lot of the fact that what it seemed to me like what they were doing was listing in short form a bunch of themes, a bunch of short ideas, almost a bunch of little two-line, like even shorter than haiku, um, like a, a little bunch of couplets that would each illustrate an idea with no particular connection between themselves. I think what this song does is resolve all of those musically and lyrically. Mm-hmm. Um, as an experiment, um, I tried listening to this song back to back with South of Heaven. Oh, yes. Oh, very um, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, with that track. I, I listened to the track South of Heaven. Then I listened to this. And there's, without them quoting each other, this song provides, it, it really does provide a sense of closure mm. to that opening track, South of Heaven. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting, Doc, because I don't think, now, maybe I'll be proved wrong as, as we progress through the rest of their back catalogue, but I don't think they ever do anything like this, quite like this, ever again, which kind of suggests to me that in their minds they had closed a chapter two. Yeah. Um, I have difficulty separating this because it, this form, this is a very personal piece of closure for me. Mm. Um, because this is this is the last track of the Slayer that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up taking quite a long break from New Slayer after this. Um, so, in a lot of ways, this this is definitely the closure of a whole entire um, act mm. Um, mm. of Slayer. I, I know that's a personal thing. I know the next album t- came out a lot in a much shorter space of time than I seem to think. But in my mind, there's like a 10-year gap between this and the next album. Yeah, it's not 94, I think, their next album. So that, But that's still four years. It, 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 yeah. It's a good time. I have, I think, probably, I was going to say said too much or uh, said more than my my few pitiful grains of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> It's all right, Doc. Um, we'll support at the moment. That's all right, Doc. We need to move on anyway, so let's do that. Welcome to part three of the show, which we call Doc. Uh, evil speak. Here, we read through and dissect the lyrics that Tom spews in our faces. Do to kick us off, Doc. Razor's Edge outlines the dead incisions in my head. Anticipation, the stimulation to kill the exhilaration. Close your eyes, look deep in your soul, step outside yourself and let your mind go. Frozen eyes stare deep in your mind as you die. There we go, Doc. Now, I've got to be honest, I've read these lyrics today, maybe five or six times. I really try to think about it. I haven't got a fucking clue what this track is about. I mean, Nietzsche comes to mind, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the famous Nietzsche quote, but beware that when fighting monsters, you yourself do not become a monster. When you gaze long into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. 
Um, surely must be an inspiration for the title. But as to what the track's actually about, Doc, I've, I've kind of hit a brick wall. So I'm hoping you can kind of handhold me through it. Well, here's a very interesting thing. Um, and I don't necessarily think we're disagreeing. Um, I think this, this, this will, these, these things will sort of complement each other. Um, I think it's about a particular, not interpretation, a particular derivative of Marxism. Okay. Uh, I've got a quote here. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to how those two things are not remotely irreconcilable earlier, a, a, a bit later on. Um, I have a quote here from um, second appearance of the concept of, of, of ontology in tonight's episode. Mm. Um, I've got a quote from the, the book Ghost of My Life by Mark Fisher. He talks about the disarticulation of class from ethnicity and gender has in fact been central to the success of the neoliberal project making it seem grotesquely as if neoliberalism were a precondition of the gains made in all those other struggles. What is being longed for is not a particular period, but the resumption of the processes of democratization and pluralism for which Gilroy calls. It is useful to remind ourselves that popular modernist socialism has become only a resolved totality in retrospect. In its own time, it was a compromised formation. What should haunt us is not the no longer, but the not yet. Michael Hart and Antonio Negri are correct in saying that the revolutionary take on ethnicity and gender struggles goes far beyond the pre-adolescent demand that different identities be recognized. Ultimately, only the dismantling of, of identity is revolutionary. The revolutionary process of the abnegation of identity is monstrous, violent, and traumatic. Do not try to save yourself. In fact, yourself has to be abolished. This does not mean that liberation casts us into an indifferent sea with no objects of identification, but rather that those existing identities will no longer have identity. A future in which the liberation from identities that were, in any case, pathetic fictions would be a blessed relief. Mm -hmm. Great. Sure. Um, I think it's a song about revolution. Revolution of... Of, of soul and of, spirit or, or, or social revolution, Doc? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yes to both. Yes. Um, um, superficially, um, the first two verses, um, I think, are, um, um, are, are, are about a lobotomy. Well, I wondered, that line, incisions in my head, I tell you what it made me think of, Doc, was, is it called phlebotomy? That, oh, trephination. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm thinking about that. That you've got those kind of model heads with lines drawn drawn on them. Oh, phrenology. Phrenology, sir. That's it. That, that, that's yeah. what I was thinking of. That in, I wondered if because because whenever whenever I see one of those models, it always makes me think of well, Pinhead, of course. Yeah. Because I'm a because I'm a horror freak, um, and so that incisions in my head made me wonder if if they were postulating on the nature of the way the brain works and they'd seen one of those models and and all of those lines drawn on it they was they, they were seeing it as if they'd been kind of cut with scalpels basically yeah i think that's um yeah i think that's valid mm. um when you said phlebotomy i thought what you I, I thought for a second what you meant was trephination which is um the bore the, the boring of holes in the skull <sighs> um so in in prehistoric medicine, it was to um, let the evil spirits out. Mm -hmm. um, actually, trephination is still carried out in modern neurosurgery to relieve pressure on various areas of the brain. 
So somebody with suffering from like hydrocephalus, for example. Yeah, or um, just a way aneurysm. to kind of leak out the fluids. Yes, mm-hmm. um, or brain aneurysms, or mm-hmm. um, I think it's done in extreme cases in um, meningitis, and wow. I think it's also done for brain hemorrhages. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it must be a. Cre- There's a great book which I wish I still had a copy of. It, it's called, I, I must look this up in time for channel next week. It's called Conversations with Someone's Brain. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it, it's a pop medical textbook about doing brain surgery. Sure. Um, and, you know, about making the, not the, um, making the, the, the cuts in the cranium, and lifting the cranium off of, because all of this stuff is done with local anesthetic. Mm. Because mm-hmm. you have to be able to measure the patient's responses. And well, yes, like, there, there, there are videos, aren't there? I've seen videos of people with their brain exposed with kind of sensors or electrodes in them, and they, they yeah. ask them to look, play guitar or read a book, and 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 they're, and they're studying what kind of electrical electrical impulses are taking place as they carry yes. out those particular activities. Why I immediately was sort of drawn to this 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 big section from Mark Fisher that I read out then um, is the fact that the the revolutionary process um, in this description is remarkably it's described purposefully I think as being remarkably similar to insanity. Mm-hmm. Um, just this concept of um, don't try to save yourself. In fact, yourself has to be abolished. I like the idea of having to do something outrageous. So whether it's kind of being revolutionary or whatever, you're about to do something that is normally beyond your purview and it takes you to play, like emotional places that you don't normally go. And those lines, they close your eyes, look deep in your soul, step outside yourself and let your mind just fucking do it, man. Don't worry about it. Just, just, just go, go with the flow. I experienced this. I've experienced this two or three times in my life. That one of the most exciting times was when I committed a, a, a wantonly and deliberate criminal act. Um, somebody, somebody parked in a disabled bay in a, in a big flash Lexus car, you know, and they got out of the car. This family, and and and, and I was furious because it was clearly, you know, there, there was no reason for them to be there. Um, and so I waited for them to go inside the shop and I walked around the corner and I got a brick and I walked back and I threw the brick through the window of their car dock. It's one of the most kind of, um, what can you say? Like, um, like it, 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 it's, my, it's the only time I've ever committed an act of like vigilantism, I suppose. Um, <laughs> and and, it, and of course, it may be completely incorrect because maybe there was something about the family that i didn't recognize but i but i'm just furious and i thought no i'm doing something about you you rich fucking entitled cunts i'm gonna smash your windows basically and that's exactly what's described here is exactly how i felt doc i just kind of i left my body man and i just did something fucking out there it was it was so exciting I can't help but think of the episode of One Foot in the Grave when Victor filled someone's sports car with... That's right. Um, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. You're right, Doc. They say I might as well face the truth But I am just too long in the tooth So I'm an OAB and weak mean But I'm not yet quite gone to see 
be over the hill now that I have retired Fading away, but I'm not yet expired Clapped out, run down, too old to save One foot in the grave Just because um, I think the people involved in that episode felt what you were feeling because the, the, there's, there's, there's a beautiful expression on Richard Wilson's face um, as he just finishes doing it. Yeah, yeah, um, it's great, yeah. Uh, Doc, let, let me hit with the next few lines here. Close your eyes and forget your name, step outside yourself and let your thoughts drain as you go. So, so we've got repetition. It, it, it's all the same stuff, isn't it? But then we get to the next four lines. To watch you be as your many physically Desecrated, eviscerated, time perpetuated Innate seed to watch you bleed, a demanding physical need Desecrated, eviscerated, time perpetuated Perpetuated, by the way, not prostrated as is on multiple sites on the internet. I don't know what they're fucking thinking about. Um, <laughs> time perpetuated. So what's going on here, Doc? You know, I think the first four lines are just repetition of a theme. But then this innate seed, innate. If something is innate, it is kind of built in, isn't it? It's kind of imbued automatically. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it seems to me to be possibly an accidental reference to the section in the Communist Manifesto where it says um, uh, capitalism is born with the seeds of its own destruction already within it. Very good, Doc. So this ties back to your theory that this is a, like a, a Marxist tract. I'm not necessarily saying it's social. Mar it's, it's expressing social Marxism. Mm -hmm. um, I think it could easily tie back to a, a personal revolution, which would make it far more Nietzschean. Mm -hmm. like you started off with, mm. um, or far more spiritual. Um, so I'm, I'm by no means insisting that um, it's an exhortation of orthodox Marxist principles. Mm. Um, What's the demanding physical need, in your opinion, Doc? Is, is, is this the fact that if, you know, to, 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 to cause revolution, to, to do kind of vigilante, revolutionary kind of things is physically and emotionally taxing is that um so i'm just following on from the lines that the, the the demanding physical need as the next section of the communist manifesto goes on to talk about the demanding physical needs are nutrition and shelter ah very interesting doc um and <clears throat> Yep, sorry, nothing more complicated than that. Mm. I, don't know, but, 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 I mean, you, you know that text more than I did. I've read it once when I was about 18, um, but you've studied it. I, I have not. Um, desecrated, eviscerated, time perpetuated. I mean, just a bunch of cool words, or is there meaning there too, Doc? Um, what's your understanding of the mean? Okay, eviscerated is easy. It means pulling the debts out. Mm. Um, what's your understanding of the mean desecrated? Well, if, if, if something is desecrated, it's something that is that was once sacred that has now, because of an act of an external force, is now no longer sacred. So, you know, I so, think so, so too. So, for example, you know, a grave would be a sacred place, 
And if you then go and piss on that grave, you somehow desecrate it. Um, compare and contrast to um, the use of the word hallowed in the song Dead Skin Mask, which you mm. talked about, mm -hmm. um, which is a process of making something profane into something sacred. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, it's just sort of one of these interesting bits of mirroring. So, so what was the what was the sacred thing that has been desecrated in your opinion, Doc? Um, so, once again, staying on the same tack, um, the immutable, um, undeniable human requirements for nutrition and shelter um, mm -hmm. have been desecrated by capital. Um, instead of things that everyone should just have, they're now things that you're supposed to buy. They've been, they've, they've been rendered profane. Yeah, so, yeah, so, 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 you know, like water, gas, shelter, food. Yes. Yeah. Basic, you know, the basic things we need to survive have yes. been kind of commercialized in some way. Well, they've, they've been rendered into capital. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and what they've been done, what, what's, what's happened is they've been made the property of ghosts because mm. ca capital, isn't, capital isn't real. It's a completely imaginary construct. Mm -hmm. um, you can have some coal, you can have some meat, you can have some potatoes. You can have a sheet of tin to make a roof with, but I mean, like, what's what's you, you, you can't hold capital. You can't have it. Sure, sure. I, um, I say this from time to time just to confuse people. You know, I would say money isn't real, and they just look at you like they just look at you blankly. Well, no, because um, as for instance happened shortly after the French Revolution, and then again after the deoccupation of France in 1945, um, the, um, the capital was negated. The, the, well, currency was, was, the, currency, the currency was just devalued. I've learned this lesson from history, Doc, and that's why I'm pumping all of my money into Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm not daft. I'm not daft. <laughs> <laughs> Time perpetuated, Doc. So this is just the idea of, of repetition. Is this a bit of Slayer cosmology, by the way, just this kind of eternal war? Here it's not like a war on the battlefield, but a war of ideology somehow. Yeah, I think it is. Mm. There's a tiny, and I, I think I'm, I, I might be pushing, I, I might be hanging things out a bit too far here. Um, this word eviscerated, um, going back as far as the Crusades and apparently well into World War II, um, Jews were believed to transport their personal wealth by changing it into gold and diamonds and stuffing it up their asses. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> Ooh, for an eloquent man, um, sometimes you have a startling turn of phrase. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or um, <laughs> politer, but politer textbooks will say swallowing it. Sure, okay. Um, but whichever way it goes in, it comes out the same Absolutely. way, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, it was apparently routine practice during the looting of Jewish settlements to, um, to stick a knife in people's bellies and gut them and see what fell out. Just make sure, yeah, just to be sure. Um, so I mean, and, and this, this this is just a, a, another iteration of this this concept of um, a a tangible commodity um, mm -hmm. being converted into capital, mm -hmm. um, and time's perpetuated. Um, and time is once again the, the the thing that we have that has also been turned into capital. Mm -hmm. um, what you'll hear modern as in 21st century marxist critics talk about um, is that what, what 
however much material wealth people have or think they possess, what they don't have is any time to themselves anymore. But also the, the, the very basis of kind of earning a wage is 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 based on the monetization of time isn't it you know because we, we yes. go to work for a certain amount of hours and we and we get remunerated based on the number of hours that we work yeah i mean it's 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 no longer based on the amount of potatoes you dig or the amount of coal that you bring to the surface mm-hmm. or the, the the amount of useful work the, the the amount of joules of energy that you actually expend in in, in um, the exploitation of your labor Mm, it's not piecework, um, is it? Really, it's you know, I can go to work one day and do almost nothing and hide. The next day, work my arse off. But both days, I've worked eight hours, and both days, I'll get paid the same amount of money. Yeah, I mean, if if you're if you're a medieval blacksmith, um, so if, if if you're at the peak of Iron Age artisanship, um, at the end of the day, you've either made a sword or you haven't made a sword. Mm. Sure, and your custom, and, and and you're you're able to give your customer a, a thing that you're going to receive in exchange for products and services, or else you're not. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Um, the doc. guy who wants the sword doesn't care how long it took you. You're absolutely correct, Doc. Doc, do you, do you want to hit us with the last uh, four or five lines here? <laughs> Inert flesh, a bloody tomb, a decorated spatter brightens the room, an execution, a sadistic ritual, mad intervals of mind residuals. Very good, Doc. Yeah. So this inert flesh, um, a bloody tomb. I love this use of the word splatter again. I think this might be the third time that they've used that <laughs> particular image on this album, which I didn't, I don't think they'd invoked previously. So obviously um, they've learned this word <laughs> somewhere between <laughs> and this album, they've learned the word splatter and they're just going with it. Um, does Guyan Smith use the word splatter often? No, no, I don't remember it. And I think it would have stood out because I love the word so much. Yeah, <laughs> so no, I don't remember it. Yeah, um, um, Guy and Smith. I, I think I, I think you're cross pollinating there, Doc, because I, I think we've been talking about Guy and Smith on our Doctor Who podcast. Anyone interested? Go and listen. Different Doctor, same old shit. Um, yeah, but uh, like literally, how can we have a heavy metal podcast and not mention Guy and Smith? Seriously, how can't we? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I we, mean, we, there's, uh, there's 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 at least one Guy and Smith book where the cover is a bad, lurid painting of a World War II airman with a skeletal face. <laughs> oh, fantastic, um, yeah. yeah. If, 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 if you want to invert the Slayer cosmology, which you were earlier on, and I seem to brush you off, and now I'm not. Um, let's go into the Slayer cosmology here. Inert flesh, a bloody tomb. The first two lines invite us to think of um, Jesus' tomb prior to the resurrection, don't they? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and then... A decorated splatter brightens the room. <clears throat> um, and now suddenly it's um, a third world torture chamber mm. in mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm. Um, I don't like this, the, the, the word brightens. I think, I think this is a bit of kind of slam mildness. Brightens I'm, the room. I'm thinking uh, there was a trend a little while ago. I don't know if it still exists. When movies were shot in very high contrast and low saturation, um, and there was a bit of a trend which 
as with all trends, got worn out very quickly. But the first time you see it, it's really, really effective. And it, it's to do everything in the grey, brown, black <clears throat> palette and then mm. have one primary colour. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I can't help but have something like that invoked in my mind from this line. And you, 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 you have a sort of... Um, you have a shot which is ambiguously um, a body or a torture victim, and then you have the sound of the torture equipment going off, and up on the wall you have a nice big bright splash of oxygen, definitely oxygenated, definitely not sure. deoxygenated, definitely yeah. oxygenated pure, blood. Pure red, bright red. Yes, that yeah. just goes <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the way yeah. at the wall, mm -hmm. um, which momentarily becomes the main source of brightness. I'm upset by this word a little less than you are. I, th I think the animated sequence in Kill Bill does a similar thing, doesn't it? Because I, th I think it's all in black and white, apart from the splashes of blood, which are in kind of real vibrant red. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know it was a thing for a while, and it, if, if you say it's, it's, it's in Kill Bill, likely that's where it came from. Not too long ago, I was quite the professional. My friends and I, we were the creme de la creme in an exclusive industry. And we all worked for this man, Bill. Then one day, I decided to leave, settle down and start a new life. But when I tried to get out, they did me in. Don't you ever wake up. I guess they should have tried a little harder. So I suppose it's a little late for an apology, huh? You suppose correctly. Now it's kill or be killed. You have every right to want to get even. Get even? Even, Stephen? I would have to kill you. That'd be about square. And I choose kill. Mad intervals, Doc, of mind residuals. What, what on earth does that line mean? Mad intervals of mind residuals. I hear the word residuals, and all I think of is the the, the, the money that, that writers get, and, and writers of music and TV get paid as royalties. Yeah, it's it's clumsy English, but I think, um, and I, I, I'm talking about films too much here. On the one hand, I'm talking about right at the end of Brazil, and there's another scene quite close to the beginning of the Day of the Jackal. And in both scenes, um, there's someone being interrogated and the, the, um, not the doctor, not the actual interrogator, but the officer in charge of the interrogation has to be warned that like, if, if you carry on, you're just going to send him mad and you, mm -hmm. you'll, you'll never get anything. Yeah. Um, and then inevitably someone suggests like injecting sodium pentothal just to try and get back the last few moments of lucidity. Mm -hmm. um, that's the only thing it makes me think of, you know, mad intervals of mind, like think, things that are still residing. It, it's, sure. it's, it's, it's clumsy, but I think that's what it means. Yeah, you know, I cleaned the room as much as I could, but there were residual fragments of whatever it was. Yes. Yeah, that's it, isn't it, Doc? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, anything else to say on, on, on the lyrics, Doc? I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of reaching my uh, 
reaching the end of my thought processes here, I must be honest. Yeah, um, it's an odd verse to have tagged on at the end for a song mm. that's kind of coherent up to there. Mm. Um, I don't quite know what that verse is doing there or what, what, what we're supposed to take away from it. Because up until there, there seems to be like a, if not a narrative, mm. at least like a consistency of theme, doesn't there? And it's then a narrative coherence. Suddenly they've chucked this in and... I don't know. It, it, it just seems to me that they, they just wanted to say some kind of evil metal-sounding words, Doc. Or maybe it was the end of the album and they had a, a, what's actually a pretty cool verse in its own mm. right. Absolutely. Playing around. Mm. Worrying for a second then that um, I hadn't sort of thought of enough to say about the song. Um, I think the poor listeners out there are probably thinking I've already said too damn much. So. <laughs> it's going to be a long one. It's going to be a long one. And guess what? We still got part four to come. Welcome to part four of Satanic Vercast. Here we just offer our final thoughts and summations and discuss anything we want to miss along the way. Uh, before that, though, some details. Writing credits, music by Mr. Jeff Hanneman and lyrics by Tom Araya. Um, according to setlist, this was played 1,390 times, putting it in joint eighth position alongside Hello Eights. First play, Doc, The Usuals, The Chance for Tipsy, Last Play, The Forum, Inglewood. I can't be bothered to read the dates. Everyone fucking knows it by now. Um, according to Loudwire, they put this in ninth place overall. And here's what they say. Sure, South of Heaven proved Slayer didn't need to rely on pure speed after the concussive fury of Raining Blood. But the title track of Seasons in the Abyss proved the band could ooze nothing but genuine evil at a crawling pace, haunting, echo-drenched cleans laid over doom tempos, hang in the air like a funeral mist, and the fog clears as tumbling drums and crashing chords assume their dominance over the track. Slayer work in every angle possible when overlooking manic speed entirely, and even, even employ a sing-song chorus that had no fan crying foul. Far from a one-trick act, this foursome was still staking out new sonic ground deep into their fifth album. Hats off to that writer. That's a really fucking great writer, isn't it, Doc? Yes, absolutely. The only reason I hate him is because he's done in less than one minute what we've already taken, like, over 95 minutes to do. But <laughs> That's right. Um, but he gets paid for you don't. Yes. Um, go on, the Doc. Any final thoughts before we... Before we pronounce, basically. Um, why weren't Slayer the biggest band in the world at this point? It's just, it's just too evil, isn't it? It's just too aggressive. It's too heavy. The vocal style is, is, is you know, just not to most people's palate. Um, that's why, in it. It was a very, very mysterious, very sort of not, not mysterious. It was a very odd time for music when this album came out. Mm -hmm. um, I mean... Who even were the contenders for the biggest rock and roll band in the world? Well, 19, it was Guns N' Roses, 1990. Guns N' Roses. Still? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any No, 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 no. no. I, I, think, I think Appetite was 89 and Use okay. Illusion was like 91. And, and in that period, they were the biggest band in the world. Um, I'll accept that. And I think you said something even more telling than I think you said there's no competition. Mm -hmm. Um. Okay, I'll rephrase the question. Who were the second biggest rock and roll band in the uh, world? Uh, yeah, uh, Faith No More, maybe? 
Well, yeah, um, and uh, I would have said Faith No More. Uh, um, I would have said a toss-up between... Um, I don't think Red Hot Chili Peppers would quite come up then. No, I, no, I, no, I don't I think, think it was 1991. No, I don't, I don't think it was until... Because they might have had... Um, what's it called? Under the Bridge, is it? Um, yeah. That, that might be out by now. really made them i don't think the chili peppers become the chili peppers we think of today until they released the californication album Give It Away came out.
Oh yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, which is a single off the same album, but sure. not, not yet, anyway. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, those um, those first five albums they made, Ooh. those first five albums they made, uh-huh. um, sort of didn't really put them within striking distance of the the the, the biggest or the second biggest rock and roll band of the world. Um, I well, think you're right. They, didn't, they was... didn't become they didn't become like real competitors until they dropped the funk, did they? They were just too funky, man, and, and, and funk is just not that popular. It's, yeah, only they, um, it's only when they kind of eased off the funk pedal that they became, you know, well, um, I think I, I think rather tragically it was when Hillel Slovak died. Oh, well, I don't know the history of, of the Peppers, to be honest. Well, uh, um, Hillel Slovak was the, um, uh, he, he, was, he was the funk guy. Uh, uh-huh. um, and um, his, his, his bad habits got the better of him. Sure. Um, around about the time of the fifth album, and they got—I can't even remember because I mean that they—they had a kind of ro- um, rotating door policy on guitarists for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't remember who it was on the Blood Sugar Sex Magic album, but um, yeah. So I mean, I, I'll—I'll stick with you. I'll say Faith No More. Faith No More are no less weird than Slayer. Yeah, but, 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 but they're not aggressive and they don't have the aggressive vocals. Doc. That, that's the thing. that it's a, brick wall yeah. for, it's a brick wall for just so many people. I find it baffling, but just so many people just shut down. As soon as I hear that vocal style, not interested. And there's no getting past it's it. Fascinating. It's fascinating. I think it's fascinating. I think, I, I, I think those people are losing out enormously. But, you know, it's kind of their problem, man. So... I'm sorry to flog this horse so much. Um, it it sounds like I'm challenging you, and I'm I'm, I'm not really. I, the, these these are sort of earnest questions that I'd yeah. love to get to know the answer to, or I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on. Are the vocal is is the overall conception of the song is it more off-putting to squares than smells like Teen Spirit? Well, no, it's a really great it's a really great question because to me they're almost indistinguishable. I think um, they're almost indistinguishable. But, but I think I think they basically both count as really heavy pop songs. Yeah, I think you're right. But I, I agree with you, Doug. But the norms out there find Tom's voice, Tom's vocals, just more challenging for some reason. I understand it. You know, when he's kind of screaming his lungs out an angel of death. You know, mm. Kurt Cobain never went to those kind of levels. Um, um, I think he did on territorial pissings. Try to love one another right now. When I want to 
terrible. I'm MMA. Oh, that's really it is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And that and that's on Nevermind, isn't it? Their kind of pop album. Yeah. yeah. That, it is fascinating, Doc. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think like um negative creep off the first album. I I, I think the vocals are every bit as off-putting as anything on this album. Yeah, you're right, man. I'd- get it. it it's it's going to end up an open question i don't have an answer to it it's almost as if you know lots of people kind of do what they're fucking told in it um normally i would say so but i, I mean as far as i could see um nirvana were a genuine underground success story when they became popular like that they, they were there for a few years um, ranked alongside Mudhoney and Tad, <laughs> dwarves, um, <laughs> and like probably uh, like probably Sonic Youth and Rape Man, and that the, they were like that level of popularity mm. um, for their first album and their first several singles, um, and then like because I mean they moved to DGC, they moved to the same label as Guns and Roses, but they, they, they didn't get any promotion from that label. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, the, they're the closest thing I've ever witnessed to a completely spontaneous underground breakout. Sure. Mm. Um, you know, they they had a video worth several tens of thousands of dollars, as opposed to several dollars, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which managed to get on MTV. But uh, it's um, the only thing I can put it down to, and I'm speculating wildly now, is it was right place, right time for them. And it turned out the right time was what, nine or 10 months different? Yeah, but I think also you've got to look at the lyrical content of Slayer's back catalogue. Yeah. You know, maybe that's problematic. Once again, if you're talking about background and what the band had been up to in the past, um, if anyone had... If anyone had known anything about the scene that Nirvana came up from, mm. um, you know, which was a bunch of fucking scurrilous degenerate, not not them personally, but like the the members of Mudhoney and the members of Dwarves, mm. um, <laughs> and I can't remember that name. I know, I know. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 <laughs> they must be rebranded as Little People these days, Doc. <laughs> 
and I mean, th th there were a, a bunch of sterilous fucking degenerates um, involved in that sort of sub pop scene and that that, that Washington State underground. I mean, th there was um, there was a lot of heroin and a lot of suicide, um, mm. a, a, a lot of very bad behaviour. I mean, if if the if the PMRC had been concerned about what those people were actually like and what their friends were like mm. instead of whether or not they used naughty words in their songs. Also, maybe, maybe, there, maybe there's a political angle to it. You know, Nirvana, fucking left-wing darlings. Maybe, you know, Kerry King, not so much. Yeah. Um, I was only ever reading the ANNE at that time. Um, which is represents a very small portion of the global demographic. And we're talking about a global demographic now. We're talking about people all over the world. Um, and the NME shifted probably 200,000 copies a week, which is not very much compared to the number of people in the world who buy records. Um, and the NME at least was almost doctrinally opposed to anything that called itself metal. Mm -hmm. um, if, um, if you owned that title, um, then the enemy wouldn't touch you with a fucking barge pole. Sure. I don't, I, I've got no idea how true that was in any other part of the world. Um, I don't think being metal or calling yourself metal was ever um, a particular stigma in the US. Which is a funny thing, you know, I've lived for, 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 for you know, for, for several years in France and you know, the, 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 there is no doubt that the, 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 the French and our, and our general European cousins are much more open-minded to metal than, than our kind of, uh, our fellow Brits are. And I, I don't yeah, know I mean, why. I don't know why, Doc. When Nirvana had their first cover, had their first NME cover, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure the tagline um, on the cover under the name, and I, I'm pretty confident about this, that the tagline was actually, um, metal, it's okay to like. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Mm. Doc, we'll pick this up at some point as a, as a topic of the week. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, kind of why, why do people have such an aversion to kind of anything kind of abrasive or aggressive or that kind of vocal style or guitar technique, whatever. Um, but I think, I, th I think we've banged on for long enough for this episode. Pronounce for me, sir. How many, how many, how many swords are you going to give seasons in the abyss? As it, almost, almost as if I have to ask. Unless you're going to shock me. No, it's ten. I mean, yeah. Un, un, unhesitatingly, it's ten. Yeah. I mean, um, it, it just so isn't it. It's a, they're in my top three Slayer songs, and wow. I don't care how much of an obvious choice people think that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So ten liquescent swords from the dock, and it, just inevitably, it gets ten mouldering most schools from me. Um, all right, that about does it for this episode, guys. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slightenetvercast at gmail.com. Join us next time when we will do our by now traditional um, album overview when we'll go into even more unnecessary detail about the album we've listened to over the last 10 weeks or so. Doc, you're going to be there. Of course, I am. 